Alright, I want to talk to you about three ancient challenges for modern Christians. Now, I use the word ancient because it's come from the Bible. Okay? Some people are always looking for the new thing. They're always looking for some, some new book that's written, some new way of, of, uh, facing into trials or whatever. But, you know, in Christian life, there is an effort that, that, uh, that we're supposed to be putting out. You can't just can't just sit back and just ride the plane and 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 claim to be a Christian. Uh, you know, when a person is a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't just say, "All right, guys, here here I am. Now go live your life any way you want." He said, "Follow me." So it's an active um, uh, effort on the part of the believer to follow Jesus. Now. In that walk, just like in any walk, now Eric goes mountain climbing and, and I've been up Caratujo and when you, when you go climbing, you want to quit. You get tired. Things get hard or whatever. And we need some encouragement sometimes in the Christian life. And I just kind of want to talk about three challenges, three things that will encourage us to stay in the Christian race is what it is. All right. So I need you to go to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, as I said, if you think living the Christian life is an easy thing, then you don't understand it. Uh, this is not a quick prayer and then get on with your life. No, this is not what Christianity is about. Jesus came and he asked his disciples to forsake all. Now, you don't always have to lose everything to follow Jesus, but sometimes when you're following him, it may cost you everything. And I'm, I sit in shame of what it has cost other believers compared to me. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved through what? Alright, so God is grace. The only thing that I come to God with my sin is faith. So by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, if it just stopped there, we'd go, good, I don't have to do anything. Not to be saved, you don't have to do anything to be born again. But verse 10 says, once you are saved, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, for the purpose of doing good works, which God hath before ordained, he's commanded that we should walk in those good works, in them. So, when we got forgiven, it was easy to us. It's just crying out to God, knowing that you're a sinner, knowing that you deserve hell, knowing that you don't deserve anything that God gives you, and you accept the gift of God, which is eternal life. Now, that all happens at the moment that you're born again. So getting forgiven is easy. Now, it may be hard for you, probably because you're proud. Probably because you think of what everybody else is going to think. So it may you may think it's a little hard, but it cost God everything, didn't it? It cost God coming down, becoming a man, and letting religious people kill him. So he did all the hard stuff, all the hard stuff you may think you're going through, are nothing except just accepting the free gift. But living like Christ did, treating each other, treating people like Christ treated them, doing things like he did, that's a hard thing. That's a different thing altogether. It takes a lot of effort. And I have to say it's a good work when we live for Christ. A lot of people say, well, I do good works. Really, do you do what Jesus did? Those are good works. We're saved to do his kind of good works. But when we're, when we're doing it, we need some encouragement because not very many people, not very many other people are doing it. You can sit 
and you could, don't waste your time, but you could watch a thousand hours of TV and not hear one good use of the name Jesus. You could sit and watch a thousand hours of TVs and movies and not see marriage honored and, 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 uh, uh, respect and, and you, you, you would not get any encouragement out there in the world. So if there's one place you ought to get some encouragement, it ought to be in church. It ought to be as you read the Bible and you learn, all right, well, if I'm going to live for Christ, I need some encouragement. Well, that's what tonight is about because Hebrews chapter 10 has some encouragement for us all tonight. Let's go, Lord, in prayer and uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And when you've got that, let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're very, very, very grateful for your grace and how patient you are with us. I pray that you would teach us tonight, speak to our hearts, and convict us of, of maybe the out-of-balance areas, three areas and that we're not working on, that we need to work on. I pray that you'd encourage and bless your people. Make some things very clear to us, very practical, very helpful. I pray for the Holy Spirit just to work on every heart. I can't, I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't know the magic words. I'm just going to say what you say in this book, and I pray you would apply it to every heart. Help us tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, by way of background, I want to say that Hebrews is a very long letter. It's one of the, it's one of the longest Letters in the New Testament next to uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the Hebrew-speaking people. That's why it's called Hebrews, all right? You know, in, in the Old Testament, only men made coffee because he, Hebrews. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Hebrews was, was Paul writing to Hebrew-speaking people. Now, not all of them were saved, okay? But anybody that was a Hebrew speaker... The Jews, Paul was trying to help them, trying to direct them, trying to get them to trust Jesus as their Messiah and to follow him. If anybody paid a high price, it was the first century Christians. Because when you were a Jew, and all of a sudden you realized that the Messiah had come and that your own people had killed Jesus, and you decided you were now going to follow Jesus, you were disowned, you were dishonored, you were abused, you were, you were spit upon, you were stoned, you were kicked out of the synagogue, you were kicked out of the country, you were, you lost your wife, you lost your husband, you lost your kids. It cost people in the first century everything to follow Jesus. So Paul wrote Hebrews to encourage them, just like it's written to us. Now, there's a lot of doctrine and teaching in the book of Hebrews. That's for sure. There is so much in there. Really, you could spend a year of Sundays just devouring the meat that's in Hebrews. But there's a lot of practical instructions on how to stay strong in your faith. Some of the most practical things for the Christian are found in the book of Hebrews. We're not going to go to them, very many. I'm only going to look at three of them. Paul gives three things that stand out to me. I was reading through my Bible, and when I went, got to Hebrews and I got to chapter 10, I noticed three things at the end of the chapter that really stuck out at me, and I wrote down some notes, and I decided to preach them tonight, so I pray you enjoyed them. Three things that stood out to me, Paul tells every person to call to remembrance some things. Then he says, cast not away your confidence. And thirdly, he says, commit to living by faith without pulling back. Now, these are all phrases that are right from the Bible. So we're going to look at just about uh, seven or eight verses in the last part of Hebrews chapter 10 and go to find some instructions for the believers. So 
Chapter 10, verse 32, 33, and 34. Let's read these and let's see what we can pick up. Dean, I'm going to ask you to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, 33, and 34. Real loud, please. Wow. There's a lot there, but let's just look at those first few words there. He says, but call to remembrance. What would put that in the modern? What would you say? How would you say that phrase? Call to remembrance. Bring back to memory. Or try and remember. Now, when he's speaking, he's talking to the Hebrews and he says, hey, uh, remember some things in your past that were great. Now, Israel, if you read in the New Testament, Jesus would always quote about something that happened in the Old Testament. Uh, when Stephen preached there before he was stoned, he went back through all of the great events of God's uh, work in the life of Israel as a nation. He, uh, uh, Israel... Uh, Every year, they celebrated the Passover. What happened at the Passover? Somebody raise your hand. Somebody tell me what happened at the Passover that was worthy of being remembered. Somebody raise your hand. Come on, you guys aren't that dumb. Go ahead. Yes, and it was because of what one thing? The blood of the Lamb. So they were delivered from the bondage in Egypt without an army, without weapons, but by the blood of the Lamb. And that Passover was a great celebration. It was a time to remember. There's also something called Purim. Who knows what was the the memory of Purim? P-U-R-I-M. Who knows what that is? You guys know? Nita? I think Mm -hmm. That's right. Haman wanted to slaughter, and he called for it. He got a day and, and got the authority and the army ready to slaughter every man, woman, and, and child Jew in uh, uh, the, the empire. And God stopped it and protected his people through Esther and through an intervention of God. And they remembered that. And so every year they have, we have Christmas, but they have a big thing called uh, Purim where they remember God's deliverance. There was also the Red Sea. What happened at the Red Sea? Yes, sir. They went right through, didn't they? And they didn't drown. And so they had a lot of things to remember, didn't they? They said, look at what God has done in the history of Israel as a nation. But did you know, if you're saved, you can look back. You may not have have walked on water or walked through water. You may not have have had a death angel about to uh, uh, cross your path and, and kill the firstborn. But you've had times where God stepped in and took care of you. And what Paul is saying, call to remembrance some things. Call to remembrance the former days. Look back in the past. There are too many people who spend, when they look at the past, they get depressed. When they look at the past, there are some people that I know who look back at the past and they go, oh, I miss the old days. It's a weird thing. But a Christian needs to do spiritual inventory. There are times where you need to, to, to look and go, how am I doing? Do you know, businesses do it all the time. 
they hire people to go back. Now, I don't know, uh, Shanaz, I don't know if they've had you do this, but Shanaz just started to work down at Drumsticks. And I, when you when you work there, they will often say, go back into the back room and count the number of buns that we have. Because we may be running out. Check to make sure that the freezer is working. So they have people go and do inventory, go check on things. Athletes do it all the time. If they're going to run a race or if they're going to be in the um, uh, the Tour de France, they, they, they constantly do inventory of the bike. They check their calorie intent, intake. They check their weight, their body mass, their fat mass. They check all that out, don't they? Christians should do the same. Christians should look in their lives and go, How, where has God taken me? What has God done in my life? You need to have times where you do spiritual inventory. And he uses a phrase here in verse 32. He says, call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated. Now, that's a distinctly Jewish term, a, a, a Bible term. When he says illuminated, he's talking about that time when God opened your eyes. When all of a sudden, we say it this way, light bulb, when the light came on. Or what the Irish say, the penny dropped. Now, I don't find a penny in the Bible, so I'll use light coming on. So, um, uh, when God opened your eyes and your heart. Go to Acts chapter 26. I'm going to ask Bill, if you would read, hold your place here in Hebrews, Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. All right, now, background. This is Jesus speaking to Paul, and he tells Paul, I want you to go to everybody, and I want you to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That's a spiritual work as a Christian goes and hands out a gospel leaflet. I didn't get saved the first day that, that Maureen Smith handed me a gospel track and invited me off to church, told me that I was uh, that I was on my way to hell and I needed to get saved. I needed Jesus Christ. I didn't get saved that first day, but she so got me interested, she got me mad, to where I came out and I listened to the preaching and I checked out what was being said that it all finally got down to my heart and it pricked me in my heart and I realized I'm doomed. I remember the night that I realized I'm doomed. I have no hope of ever, ever walking through death's door and ending up with God. And uh, that was an illumination. You couldn't have convinced me I was evil. You couldn't convince me I was on my way to hell. You couldn't convince me that that I wasn't good enough to go to hell. God had to convince me. God had to work on me. But if you, God used somebody with a gospel track or used the preaching of the word of God. So you need to go back to that time where you remember when God opened your eyes. You're still in Acts, I hope. Look at Acts chapter 16 and verse 14. I'll get uh, our newly baptized uh, Ben. If you will read Acts chapter 24, I'm sorry, chapter 16 and verse 14, about a young lady named Lydia. Acts chapter 16 and verse 14. Thyra, Tyra. Worship God heard of, whose heart never opened, that 
Right? Now, Ben, here's the truth. All right? Sometimes you'll maybe take a gospel leaflet and you invite someone out to church and they'll go, not interested. <laughs> and they'll walk away from you. Sometimes people will come to church and then go, yeah, and they go away. What's going on? God hadn't been able to get through to them yet. God hadn't opened their heart. And that's because God's not strong enough? No, we're dealing with free will. We're dealing with people who just aren't tuned in yet. So sometimes people walk away. Sometimes people aren't interested. But Lydia, God got to her, didn't he? So if, if you have been saved, it's because God got you. Not because Pastor Craig was really smart and really able to convince you. If I won you, then you're doomed. Amen? Then you're a convert of Craig Ledbetter and not a convert of Jesus Christ. You see how it works? So review and remember when that time happened. Do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember when you got born again? Think about it. Enjoy that memory. It's kind of like when you got married. It's kind of like the day that you hold a newborn in your arms for the first time. And, and you go back and you remember that, how stunning it was. I remember when Sharon was born. Nita, we always thought she was born at 128 on January 28th. We found out the other night he was at 124. Oh, we were so disappointed. <laughs> we were off by four minutes in our memory. But I remember when I got to be there. And I, I remember them asking me, you want to hold the baby? I went, this first born life coming into my hands. I'm looking at Nita. Nita's looking at me. It was just awesome. I remember that. I remember when Ruth was born. And I, oh my goodness, I remember um, getting there just 15 minutes before uh, Joel got born. I mean, wow. These, those are great memories. I enjoy those memories. I mean, some women don't enjoy it, but I enjoyed it. And, and, and listen, the day that you got born into God's family ought to be a good memory. Remember the day when you were illuminated. In Luke chapter 3, and, and I don't want to take too long because I got two other points to say, but in Luke chapter 3, go there real quick. In verse 7, Luke chapter 3, in verse 7, I'm going to ask Marcus if you'll read verse 7 and 8. Luke chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. I want to say the Hebrews thought that they were pretty big time stuff because they were Hebrews, because they were Jews, because they were children of Abraham. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Go back and remember when you were illuminated. Remember when the penny dropped, when the light came on, when you realized you were lost and you needed to be found. When you were, when you were, uh, away from God and now you're a child of God. Um, Luke chapter, what did I tell you? Three, verse seven and eight, please. Okay, you know what I meet at the door? I'll find somebody who says, I'm Irish. <laughs> go. That's not good enough. I'm Catholic. That's not good enough. I don't know. I, saw, I wish somebody would tell me, I'm Baptist. I would say, is that what you're trusting to get you to heaven? I haven't met anybody like that. Normally, if you're Baptist, normally people say, I'm born again. 
because you can claim to be a Jew. I can be a child of Abraham. And that doesn't make you a child of God. God is able to take stones and make children under Abraham. You must be born again. That's why Jesus said it to Nicodemus. So, secondly, so review your illumination, but go back to verse 32 in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, when you endured a great fight of affliction. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell him, Bill, Bill complained after he got saved. Most people are happy, but Bill wasn't because people, (laughs) Bill told me, he says, you know, ever since I got saved, it's been rough. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, may still be, amen. But you know, when we get saved, we didn't, we didn't join a cruise. When we got saved, we joined a fight. Sometimes the devil seems to pick on some people. I don't know why, some more than others. But honestly, he says that great fight of affliction. He endured a great fight of affliction. And remember the fight that you're in. We're in a spiritual fight. Who's our enemy? Satan. Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So, Peter says to the believers that he's writing to, he says, be on guard, be very aware, because your adversary's out there. You don't know where he is. You can hear his roar, but he's looking to devour you. We're in a spiritual fight. Remember the fight you got into. Remember, hey, go to Galatians. Galatians, Paul. Did you read Paul? All right, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. Let's do some cross-references tonight. Galatians 5, 17. We're not only in a fight with the devil, we're in a fight with ourselves. Listen to this battle. Go ahead. Wow. So one part of me is my flesh. That's the old me. That's that's what I do naturally. It's just, that's Craig Ledbetter. And then there's a part of me called the Spirit, under the control of the Holy Spirit. And that part of me is going the opposite direction of the first part of me, the old me. So that with, can you imagine? I've seen some Siamese twins. You ever seen these Siamese twins? There is a, there is a girl. She's actually two girls in America. She has, it's a weird thing. She has two heads and they're both Christian and they have two heads. But can you imagine the, the, the weirdness of having being joined with somebody else and you want to go this way and that person wants to go that way and you say, will we ever make up our mind? But that's the Christian life. There's a part of you that wants to live for the world, wants to live for the self. There's a part of you that wants to live for God so that you can't do the things that you would. It's not ever going to be a day where you don't have a fight. Every day we wake up, we have a fight with the devil, we have a fight with ourselves, we even have a fight with the world. Anybody who's ever been fishing and you go down here to the, to the Lee River and you go down to the, uh, the dam, you know what most people fight, uh, fish for down at the dam? Salmon. What is the salmon doing at the dam? They're going upstream. They're going against the flow, trying to get back to where they were spawned. And you know, as a Christian, we fight against the flow of this world. It's going this way, and we're struggling to go that way. We're in a fight. We're in a fight. Now, um, uh, Paul loved to remember his past. As a matter of fact, out of all the times that he preaches in the New Testament, 
he loves to preach the most about his testimony. He loves to say, can I tell you how I got saved? And he says, I was riding on a horse. I was on my way to Damascus. I was going to go and get those Christians, and I was going to put them to death. Or at least I was going to bring my voice against them. I was going to punish those um, uh, uh, those renegade Jews who had stopped being Jewish. I was going to hurt Jesus until I met Jesus. And he just, he would break down and he said, and he spoke to me, and he forgave me. And I stopped fighting him. And I'm here to stand you before. And he'd stand before King Agrippa. Or he would stand before thousands of angry Jews. He loved to tell about his salvation. Amen? And you should too. Paul loved to remember his past. You should have that. Because in that began a great fight of affliction. But by the way, the next verse says this back there in verse... Well, uh, I'm sorry, there's a key word in verse 32... Ye endured a great fight of affliction. You know, uh, in that, in that fight, you, he, he goes on. Let me tell you what kind of fight it was. Verse 33. Partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. What's a gazing stock? Does anybody know what that is or was? We don't normally have gazing stocks. What are you going to say, uh, Allison? Yes. So a gazing stock was a punishment. You ever hear anybody put in the stocks in the old days? All right. A gazing stock, they would, instead of putting them in prison, they would put them in the stocks and they would leave them there so people come by and go, <laughs> there's Joe. Oh, I didn't know he was in trouble. Ah. And they would throw tomatoes at him or they would kick dust at him or they'd spit at him and they'd make fun of him. And Paul's reminding him saying, you know when you got saved? You became that person that everybody mocked and passed by and laughed at. Hmm. While you were made that way, that's what happened when you got saved. You know what a Christian does? They endure. They endure. You know, uh, I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but uh, uh, he goes on there in verse 33. Partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches, that's being made fun of, and afflictions, and partly... While you became companions of them that were so used. I think it's amazing that they became, you know, you know how to become great friends with somebody? Go through the same trials they're going through. That's, Paul saying, you know what? You became companions with those who were also being so used in their trials. And he mentions himself in verse 34, for ye had compassion on me, in my bonds, because Paul was going from prison to prison, and you took joyfully of the spoiling of your own goods. You took your own money and gave it to me while I was in prison to take care of me. Uh, in yourselves, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. You know, we're a, we're a first world country, but in third world countries, you know, when you are put in prison, guess what? You probably are never coming out again unless you have a wealthy uncle who has some money who will pay to get you out. And so Paul, when he, in those days, was put in prison, those, those wardens would wait for somebody to come along and pay him to let Paul out. And these Hebrews took up money sometimes to get Paul out of prison. Paul said, you're my friends. 
If you were ever in that situation, somebody gave to get you out of prison, you'd count them the best friends. Listen, the best friends aren't the ones who don't have trouble, aren't, aren't the ones who, who are good time Charlies, but the best friends are the ones who go through the trouble with you and are with you even when you're in prison. Paul says, you had compassion on me. You know, um, there's, how's your compassion? I don't know about you, but most people get agitated and cranky when they're under stress. Does anybody else like that? Anybody else, when things aren't going right, you just don't have compassion on anybody. Amen? Am I the only way? Oh, I, good. I don't feel so bad. Well, I do feel bad. But anyway, how's your compassion towards, towards people who keep getting in trouble, who keep going through hard times? Your compassion will be good when you also are going through hard times, when you also are going through trouble. So, two things to work on. You ready? Work on the things that you think about. What are some things that you ought to remember? The day you got saved. You ought to remember the battles you've been through and you've learned that Jesus gives the victory. And you ought to remember the friends that God has given you along the way. Amen. I would have loved to have been in Paul's day. Can you imagine making a friend with the Apostle Paul? Can you imagine being around somebody like that? I mean, anytime you're around him, somebody was being stoned. <laughs> anytime you're around him, entire cities were in uproar. It must have been wild. Well, it was because that was the sense of first century Christianity. Work, work on what you think about. Do you just sit and think about things that you worry about? Do you think about problems? Do you think about troubles? Or do you think about God? In your life. Second thing, work on enduring. He said these words, and I don't have time to really, really push on it, but he said, ye endured a great fight of affliction. When it says great, what do you think it means? Does it mean it was wonderful? No. It means a big fight, a awful, bad fight of affliction. Hmm. What are some things that we should endure? Temptation is a good one. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, endure temptation. What else should we endure? Persecution. Excellent. I found that in 2 Timothy 3, 12, that we should endure persecutions. What else? I've got a rush, so, or else we look at them. Hmm? Wow. Endure chastening. You haven't had that lately, have you? Because that, <laughs> that didn't even come to memory. Wow, this is very convicting. Endure chastening. If you endure chastening, then are your sons, Hebrews 12 says. Very good. Honestly, whatever comes your way, now that you're saved, put up with it. Secondly, cast not away your confidence. Back to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 35. Let's go on. I'm going to uh, get uh, Celine, if you'll read 35, 36, and 37, please. Okay, cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Now, what is our confidence? What are we sure of? I'm not sure of much. I'm not sure that I'm going to wake up tomorrow, are you? We're sure of our salvation, amen. What else are we sure of? We have the sure hope of heaven. What else do we, what are we sure that we're sure of? The promises of God, the Bible. You see, 
Paul says, don't throw away what you're sure of for something you're not sure of. I wonder if she loves me. She loves me. She loves loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. That is not the way to live the Christian life. That's not where you put your money. That's not how you live your life. Our confidences are like a parachute. Okay? Uh, I mean, I've never had to jump from an airplane. I've never had a parachute. I hope I never have a parachute. But you know, when you have to jump out of a plane at 10,000 feet, Gina, you did that, didn't you? Was it insane or what was it like? You wouldn't do it. <laughs> you wouldn't do it again. It is crazy. You are jumping out into the unknown and this nut is going to tell you count to three and pull, right? Or how long do you count? Oh, they pulled it for you. Okay. So you jump out and then it opens up. Okay. Crazy, crazy. But you are, that's, you're having confidence. You're putting confidence in that parachute. I'll tell you, the closest thing I had was when I and Joshua took some, uh, we, uh, uh some scuba diving instruction. So, so now it's really cool to put the flippers on, to put the wetsuit on, to put the, uh, the respirator on. It's really cool where you're walking around and everybody's looking at you and you're going, yeah, man, I am so cool looking. It's another thing to go into the water and then, I mean, you sink like a rock, man, and just, and you begin to trust that respirator. I was, your mind is going, I'm going to die. But the, the instructor says, just breathe. <laughs> just breathe. So Joshua's over there swimming along, and I'm like, <sighs> stressed out and everything. But I got confident in my respirator. Now, that's a simple little illustration that we don't know how hard we find it to trust the Lord. Greatest verse in the Bible for the Christian is, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. Now, our confidence is what we are sure of. What confidence can you be sure of? I already asked you. Uh, we're confident. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, in other words, faith is the evidence of our confidence. It is the substance of our hope. Faith is. It got, if you read through Hebrews chapter 11, faith got every one of these people through thick and thin. Look in, look in verse 3, uh, or verse 4, by faith, Abel got through. Verse 5, Enoch. Verse 6, uh, or sorry, verse 7, Noah. What a, what, what a crazy situation where one guy and his family are told to build the boat out in the middle of the desert and it had never rained. Build a boat and it's going to rain. He had to do it by faith. You got Abraham down there in verse 8 and then Sarah down in verse 11. These people had confidence. Would you agree? Don't throw away yours is what Paul's saying. You've got some too. Don't trade in your faith. Don't trade in the faith. What kind of faith are you? You're in Hebrews. Go to the right. Find Jude. Chapter 1, there's only one chapter, Jude, chapter 1, it's the last book before the last book. It's the book before Revelation, Jude chapter 1 and verse 3, Allison, please. Jude, verse chapter 1, verse 3. 
All right, so is faith progressively being given to everybody? Is it being revealed through visions and dreams and nightmares and indigestion? Okay, so faith was once delivered. And, and Jude is saying, I'm writing to you to contend for that, to hold on to it. Go to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2 now. And uh, Hannah, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. And you'll notice a phrase here in Galatians about our faith. What faith do we follow? Do we follow Moses' faith? Do we follow Abraham's faith? Do we follow Paul's faith? Look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I live. Now, that's the best part of the whole verse. He loved me and gave himself for me. That's the best part. But there's a very interesting part there in the middle which says, the life which I now live in the flesh, in my body, I live by the faith of the Son of God. So whose faith are we following? Christ's faith. That is revolutionary. So, don't trade a faith that Christ gave us for something else. That's why Paul says, don't lose your confidence. Don't give, don't exchange what you're confident of. I'm confident this book is perfect. I have looked at, I've got 26 different versions at home. I have read the New World Translation. I've, uh, I've got 26 different versions of the Bible. I have spent from my times in Bible college, I didn't believe the King James Bible. I didn't like the King James Bible. I, I actually rewrote the King James Bible when I first got saved. Uh, I thought I could do a better job in it. I have studied. I've learned this Bible is perfect. It doesn't need revisions. It is perfect. It's already been edited in, in 1769. Did the last edit? It is perfect. What's my point? It is my confidence. I can read it without fear, should that word be in there. I can read it without fear. Oh, I wonder if that's right. I'm confident. Hey, I'm confident that Jesus is coming back. I mean, he's coming back soon. I am confident. I don't know when, but I know he's coming back. That's my confidence. Um, you know, Romans 8.37 says, We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm confident that Jesus made me a conqueror, not a victim. How many of you like going to work on Monday and hearing everybody's quibbing and cribbing and whinging? Oh, you don't know what I put up with. Oh, you don't know about my wife. You don't know what my kids do to me. You know, no Christian should have that. You are more than a conqueror. All right? Not that you don't have troubles. But don't trade in your faith. Don't, don't drop it for something less. Um, why would anyone trade in a superior voice, uh, force? Don't trade in the faith for a feeling. If I came to Dennis, says, Dennis, I had a vision last night. I saw Jesus. He was 800 feet tall. He spoke to me to build a hospital and to raise 20 million euros and to buy myself a personal jet. Jesus told me all these things. Dennis would slap me. And he'd have my permission. I don't trade what is in the Bible for a feeling 
or for an experience or for a dream or for a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a, a, a bunch of money or for popularity. I worry. Some of you may one day say, lose a little bit of, of, of your strength and say, I've got to get some money. And you may go out and try to win the lottery and you may win it. And then you'll say, I don't need God anymore. I worry about that. You would be trading a load of money for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd rather have nothing in him than a pile of money and an empty home and an empty heart. Why would you trade in anything for something less? I put on here a picture of somebody with a squirt gun because why would you trade a cannon in for a squirt gun? But that's what the devil does. The devil comes along and he knows what you have in that book. He knows what it's like when you pray. And so he gets you to exchange your prayer for busyness. He gets you to it so you don't read the Bible and understand it and live by it so that you read the newest pop psychology book. Oh, there's a new book out on the market. And it's all about how to, how to focus on positive energy. So much easier to read than the Bible. <clears throat> Why would you trade in a superior force for a squirt gun? There's great payback. Keep going there in Hebrews. Back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath a great recompense of reward. That's just a lot of words that says a great payback. There's great reward in our faith. Hmm. Uh, take your Bible, turn to Matthew 25. Let's see who's next. Uh, Yvonne? Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. <clears throat> Let's look at this reward. Jesus is, this is him at his second coming, and he meets people, and listen to what he says to some of them. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. There's great, yes. All right, so the Christian, a lot of religions seek power and they seek money and they seek rewards and they seek benefits themselves. But one day, the Christian will receive it from Jesus. Now, which one's the right way to do it? To go to war against all of our enemies and go and claim Jerusalem for God and go start a crusade and go to, go to, you know, take back, uh, uh, countries. No, no, no. That's not what we do. One day, Jesus is going to call you up, going to look at your life and go, you did well. You've been faithful over a few things. I didn't give you too much. You're faithful. I want you to be ruler now. I'm going to put you in charge and you're going to be top here. Enjoy. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's worth waiting for. That's worth struggling with and 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 and, and staying faithful for because one day the Lord will make it all worthwhile. Um, what is it? The one thing that we need. There is one thing we need. Keep going there, back there in verse 36. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. For ye have need of one thing. I know we all think we need money. <laughs> but what is it that we all need? Right there, what is it? You have need of patience. Is that easy to get? Somebody once told me, when I first got saved, never pray for patience. You know why? Because it always takes trouble to teach us patience. 
but it is something you should want. It says you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So is it possible to blow it? Is it possible that you won't receive the promise of God if you get impatient? Okay? There's many a young man who got impatient. I'm pointing at one of them right here. But there's many a young man, let me point back to the back there, who got impatient waiting on God to give him a wife. Listen to Barry, he's getting old. <laughs> got impatient. And so they picked the next girl that winks at him. <laughs> Barry's like any girl that winks at me. When I was in Bible college, the girls would all go, Amen, Amen, Amen. That was the first year. By the fourth year, it was, Any man, Any man, Any. <laughs> Patience was running thin. That was the point. But here's the truth, okay? Here's the truth. You get impatient and you'll blow what God has for you. Okay? The truth is, all the promises of God are received in time. They're not instant. God makes a promise. He says, I'll take care of you. It's not like, where is it, Lord? Where is it? Doesn't happen that way. Okay? The promises of God, relating to physical things, relating to your needs. Uh, we need patience. Uh, now Paul, Paul here, I wish I could, uh, there's, um, he's speaking of one big promise to the Jews. What was the most important thing the Jews were looking for? The, the promise of God that they were waiting for. Say it loud, raise your hand, let me hear, cause I can't hear you. Somebody, Marcus? Not just a sign, no. What was the one biggest thing, Tony? The Messiah. Now, for them, Jesus had come as the suffering Messiah, hadn't he? He had come as Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have turned, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all, and the, and the Messiah suffered and died, right? So, but to the Jews, was that their big promise they were waiting for? Daniel chapter 3 talks about a dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar had of a statue of himself. This huge statue made out of gold, silver, brass, and iron, and clay. And the top part was Nebuchadnezzar himself. But over history, all of these kingdoms built up, and, and as massive as it was, and as beautiful as it was, the dream ended with a huge stone coming out of heaven and smashing all those kingdoms to powder. And that rock was Christ. That was the Messiah that the Jews were looking for. And he hadn't come. He had come first as a suffering Messiah. But there was a promise still that he's coming again. See, even though Jesus didn't come and with a rod of iron rule and defeat all the enemies of Israel, that doesn't mean that he's not going to come back and do that. So let's look at that next verse back in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, you have need of patience. He's dealing with the Jews who are still looking for the second half of the Messiah. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise, your promise, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. He'll come when he's supposed to come. He won't delay. All right. So the Jews had a promise to them. It's still going to come to pass. Did you know there are promises just to you? that you can trust God for. And it may not be here yet. It may take 10 years before you find Mrs. Wright. Just pray her first name's not always. Um, 
It may be 10 years, but the promise will come. Amen. That's your confidence. Just like the Jews need to have that confidence that he that will come shall come. All right. So they just come in time. Um, so what's our summary we're going to get from this? Keep your confidence. That's all. Keep your confidence. Don't let somebody take your Bible and give you a new one. Uh, years ago, back in 1977, 78, how many ever hear of a, a, a book publisher called Reader's Digest? Okay. Reader's Digest said, you know, there are too many people reading the Bible and they're not understanding it. And it's too big of a book. Let's help out these Bible readers. And so they were good at condensing books. And they condensed the Bible. And they took the Bible from 1,200 pages to about 300 pages. And they gave it away. Nobody would buy it. And they gave it away. And people were thinking, this is better because it's easier. It was not better. That's like somebody taking a, 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 a weapon of yours, a, say it's a big gun, you got big enemies or whatever, and taking all the bullets out, and then taking all the parts out, and you're left with a stick. <laughs> when you had a gun, they could just get rid of anything. So my point is this. Don't let anybody trade your Bible for anything. Don't let anybody trade an old-fashioned church for anything. Don't let anybody trade time and prayer for anything. Keep your confidence. Third point, and I'll be finished. Commit to living by faith without pulling back. Look at verse 38 and 39. Who's next? Uh, uh, Dina, chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. Gina, I said Dina, but Gina's next, sorry. Now, what a concept. To live by believing God instead of believing the world. Paul had a time when he was in a ship, and the ship set sail, and the the, the captain of the ship believed um, the... Uh, who did the captain believe? Now, all of a sudden, I didn't... I just remember it coming into my head. The ship sailed, but I want to say the captain believed the owner of the ship, that the weather was going to be smooth sailing and everything. And Paul got up there and says, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do this. We're going, we're going to get into a storm. And instead of believing Paul, the, the captain of the ship believed the owner. And they got into a storm. The ship smashed and everything. But the point is this. Um, Paul was believing God. The captain of the ship was believing the weatherman. And the, the way things people read the, the, the sky and everything. And you know, it's hard. When the weather looks good, it's hard to not go forward. And it's even harder when the weather looks bad, and you know you should go forward, and you go out anyway. So um, uh, when when your teachers are telling you all religions are man-made, when your teachers are telling you science is, is, is uh, uh, certain about evolution, what should you say? I believe the Bible. I'll show you something. Look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Dina, I'll have you read verse 97 to 100. Psalm 119. 97 to 100.
Wow. All right, so a kid, without being rude, a child can know more than his teachers, know more than the old people, know more than his enemies. Used to be in, in West Point in America, it's an it's a, a Army Academy or a, a Naval Academy. I'm not sure what is West Point. It's some sort of military academy in America. I guess they train several of the branches. And they used to teach Bible warfare. Now, they're not allowed to do it anymore because it offends certain groups of people, Muslims mainly. But, you know, they learn from the Bible some of the best patterns of how to attack and fake attacks, and they use them as part of their training. They're not allowed to anymore. But people, you know, when you know the Bible, when you believe the Bible, you're far more advanced than all the teachers and all the scientists out there. They finally come around to what the Bible says. By the way, I don't, I, I, I don't enjoy it, but I do enjoy it. When they come up and they'll say on Sky News and it says, the new report says that there are seven cancers that you will get if you drink more than once a day. And probably you'll get them even if you only drink once a week. And I'm going, yes, the Bible is right. Whosoever is deceived by drink, the Bible says, you are not wise. Because wine is a mocker. A strong drink is raging. So when you believe, you, you're being called to commit to live by faith, which doesn't mean make it up as you go along. Oh, I believe that I'm going to get a new car. That's not faith. What is that? That's new age. That's somebody I'm envisioning, I'm speaking it into existence. That's of the devil. See, my faith is I do what God says do. I believe what he says. End of story. So if I live by that, it's a crazy concept. It's not easy. It is different than living by sight. Sight is easy. All right? If I asked uh, uh, Dean here, Dean, I want you to go from here to back there. Dean would know how to negotiate and get back there. But if I put a blindfold on you, and I turned you around three times, and I said, now get back to the back of the room, you'd be falling over everybody, wouldn't you? It's very hard to live without living by sight. And yet Paul says, live by faith and commit to it without pulling back. What do you think it means to pull back? I'll give you the illustration of, of tug of war. It's pulling out. You get the guys against the girls, okay? So the guys get over there, and they begin to pull. And the girls are over here, and they're pulling, and everything's good. But then some guy goes, I don't want to pull anymore, and he lets go. He walks away, and somebody else lets go, and they walk away, and they pull back. They give up. The Bible says, commit to live by faith without pulling out, without quitting. Now, Israel learned how to do this. They learned it at the Passover. They learned that God came through. When they faced the Red Sea, can you imagine if they got, if they, if they never went through the Red Sea because they were too afraid? They would have been slaughtered by the, by the, um, uh, Pharaoh's army. Um, Israel had to learn to live by faith, which meant when it came to the Sabbath and they were collecting manna, how much manna did they have to collect? Twice as much. They had to collect twice as much manna on Friday because on Saturday, guess what was not going to be on the ground? No more manna. But what was the problem? On Monday, on Sunday, you know what everybody did? 
after collecting two two lots of of uh, of manna on on Friday, Saturday they had none. On Sunday they got up and they collected two of two double the amount, and they all and it and it stank and it was worms had eaten. And they went, this isn't working. And on Tuesday, if they if they collected more, it would stink and so on and so forth. They had to get just enough for each day. But on Friday, they got twice and it didn't stink. What were they learning? They learned about the Sabbath, but they were learning to live by faith. Do it my way was what God was teaching Israel. Do things my way. It was always learning by faith. When they got to Jericho... Jericho had two sets of walls around it. It was impregnable. So what did God say to Israel to do to defeat Israel, to defeat Jericho? What was it? Just march around there six days, and on the seventh day, go around seven times, make everybody dizzy. (laughs) And then shout. Blow seven trumpets and the wall came down. What was God teaching Israel? To live by faith. Just do it my way. That is the Christian life. You need to commit to living by faith without giving up. Uh, Israel learned to do this. Now, when it talks about the just, verse 38, the just shall live by faith. When it says just, what do you think that means, Kevin? Who knows? Hmm? Honest, not, it's more than that. Hmm? Justified. What'd you say? Righteous. But to be justified when they were first sinful means that they were pardoned, they were forgiven, and made just. So when you get saved, this is for the Christian. You live by faith. But if any man draw back, uh-oh, if any man quits, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. I won't be happy. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but of them which believe to the saving of the soul. So, all of this is great if you believe, if you truly believed and you lived it. That's salvation. But if you don't live it, it just means that you don't believe it. You know, people, people fall away all the time. I can't understand it. I'm, I'm no better than them. I'm no more intelligent than some people. But you know, if you do not believe this book, you will fall back. You will fall away. You'll give up. It's hard not to give up, no matter what, anyway. But if you don't believe and live this book, guess what the Bible says? You will end up where? Go all the way back unto, and it's an old word, perdition. What's perdition mean? Hell. Perdition is hell. Not because you lost your salvation. Not because you stopped being forgiven. It's not possible to stop being forgiven. It's because your faith was only half-hearted. What did Philip say to the Ethiopian eunuch? You can get baptized only if what? If you believe with half your heart, right? No, with all your heart. Now, it's not complicated, but if you really, really, really mean it, it works. But if it's only half-hearted, how many have ever had a half-hearted sorry? I'm sorry. Yeah. How many ever had a had somebody fix your dinner and go, there. It was done half-heartedly. You know, they fixed your dinner and they plopped it down. They did it. But the heart wasn't in it. If your heart's not in following Jesus Christ, you're going to fall back. You're going to pull out. You're going to quit. You're just religious then. There are four soils. And and we're just going to stop. There are four soils that Jesus talks about. The wayside, the footpath. 
in the stony soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. Remember those four soils? Let's talk about the, thor- the, the, the stony soil. Jesus said, when the seed falls on the stones and the sun rises, the, the seed sprouts, but then it quits. Why? Because it has no root. There's no depth. And if you only come to church, and if this is the only time you read your Bible, when trouble comes, you'll dry up and you'll walk away. Because it's nothing, it's nothing to you except just a thing you do. So if it's not lived, you will pull back. So as hard as it gets sometimes, as hard as it gets sometimes, you ready? Stay living by faith, not ever pulling back. I've been, I've been mountain climbing, both my boys and with Eric. I prefer my boys, because <clears throat> Eric's a nut. <clears throat> he takes crazy directions. But you know what Eric is good at? Saying, let's keep going. Let's just keep going. You know what's funny about mountain climbing? There's always a higher hill after you climb one set, then you look and there's more. But stay living by faith. It's never going to be easy living as a Christian. It's never going to be. Somebody says, well, why did so-and-so pull back? I don't know. Maybe their heart wasn't in it. I don't know. I know plenty of people who just hit a wall and they just they just fall apart. Amen. Pray for them. Maybe they'll be back. But I know this. I want to work on those three things. Can anybody tell me what were the three things that we say, that we focused on? We're finished. What are the three things? If you go back quickly, I'm sneaking it. Look there in verse 32. Call to remembrance. Have some things that you remember about when you got saved, about God's hand in your life, how he brought somebody like your wife or your husband into your life, how he got you into church, how he got you, um, you, the first person you won to Christ. Have some good memories. Secondly, Verse 35, cast not away your confidence. In other words, don't throw it away. And what was the third one? Commit to live by faith and not pull it. That's what we say when we get two people married. We say, till death. Amen? I don't care how hard it gets. Amen? And that's how the Christian life needs to be. Any questions before we quit? Hope you got some things. This is a different message tonight. Just I enjoyed it. Any thoughts or any questions? I know you guys are tired. It's a full day on Sunday. All right, let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. Father, what do I say? Except Paul looked out and he saw people struggling. He saw how hard it was. We read in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5 how hard it was on those first century Christians and what it cost them. And yet the joy that they had and the fruit that they had. Sometimes we need to be encouraged and be reminded, you know, it's worth it. Even though it's a great fight of affliction, and there's plenty of afflictions and there's plenty of fight, but you make it all worthwhile. I pray you would. I pray that you would bless. There are people in this room who've been through some trials. Still going through some trials. I pray they don't ever throw away their confidence. That nothing that uh, the news people say, nothing that 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 um, family may say, nothing that friends may say would discourage them. Lord, I pray we hold a little tighter to our Bible and we'd 
open it and read it a little more. Just let it just feed our faith, strengthen us so that we live by it. What a shame <clears throat> when we have the Bible, we don't live it. So, Lord, I pray you encourage your people. Won't you bless us? Bless these things to, uh, to our lives that tomorrow, even starting tonight, we live differently. We live with a bigger smile on our face. But you know what? Nobody's going to swap out my Bible for a squirt gun. Nobody's going to swap out my prayer time. Nobody's going to swap out my, my gospel tracts and my efforts to, to serve the Lord. Because, Lord, you are worthy. And I love you, Lord. I thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen.